Pentecost Sunday. We're going to talk about fire today. Calling down fire from heaven, what does it mean? What does it look like? What does fire represent in the Bible and how does it apply to us today? We're going to start off today's message by being in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. You can start turning to that now. Uh, we're going to look at the story of Elijah and the prophet of Baal when fire came down from heaven. And we'll also look at the day of Pentecost. We're going to jump back into the book of Acts where fire came down from heaven as well. So we're talking about fire today. Fire has many different meanings in the Bible. Sometimes it represents good things like God's presence, God's power, God's authority. And sometimes it represents judgment and punishment. And at other times it simply means fire. Just natural fire, right? Just sometimes it just means fire, right? Like a campfire or burning some wood or wanting to burn, have a fire so you can cook some food and a meal. Just fire sometimes. Um, so fire has many me uh, meanings in the Bible, and today's message is entitled, Calling Down Fire, Overcoming Idols. Calling Down Fire and Overcoming Idols. 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to begin our reading from verse 16. And so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Isn't that you, you troubler of Israel? And I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you, have, you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who, who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver? If the Lord is God, follow him. If the Lord, if God is, if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And I think this question is for all of us today to ponder as well. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Amen. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And I think this sometimes happens when I preach as well, too. Uh, a question is given, um, something to ponder, but there's no response. But often we know that no response, um, while that's true at times, that can be a response to just pondering, just waiting in the presence and listening. It could also be stubbornness and rebellion as well. People respond in various ways, and so no response can happen because people are shocked at what was just said, or people respond in just various ways, maybe still pondering, maybe still thinking, maybe, you know, inside you're just confused and trying to deal with issues of, of life, and so you're reflecting on how should I respond, what should I say, and how should I act. In this portion of scripture, I think both is happening here. How long will you waver between two gods? How long will you waver? Ponder this, think about this. Reflect on this. You must respond eventually. That's how I see it. Pick one, follow one, stand with one, but stop trying to follow both God and Baal. And the people said nothing. But soon they'll experience the power and the presence of God in such a supernatural way. And they will choose sides. And some are going to live and tell about the mighty stories of the wonders of what God has, has done. And the great moves of God. And I hope everyone in this house and watching will experience a great move of God throughout their life. But others are going to die. 
and they're going to be nowhere to be found, maybe still pondering, maybe still thinking, maybe still reflecting. But eventually we'll all have to choose between God and Baal. That's how it works. Between follow God's ways and his provisions will be banished from his presence. And death and darkness will be in those people's future as well. How long, how long will we waver between two opinions? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this word and for the worship that has already gone up, Lord. May it continue to fill our hearts and minds, O oh God, that your words, Lord, and, your wor and, the, and the words that you put in our mouth and in our, in our mind, fill us, Lord. Fill us, Lord Jesus, with truth. Fill us with your words, O oh God. May it overflow out of us, O oh God. Not just talk, Lord, but that we will be able to walk in, in, the, in your light, in your love, in your liberty. Bless all that's said and done, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here's a little background regarding uh, this story. Uh, Elijah was a prophet of God. Uh, not any prophet of God, but the God of creation. That's, that's important to make a distinction. The God of the universe. right? We're serving the God of the universe. The God who made mankind. The God who made everything that is. And the God that made everything that is seen and unseen. That's the God that we're talking about. Not just any God. We're talking about the great God, I Am. He is the great I Am, right? The creator of the universe. He, everything that's seen and unseen, that's the God that we're talking about. He is the true God. He is the one God, right? He controls everything. He controls the entire universe. He's in control. Now, it's interesting that there's going to be a face-off between Baal and God. If that's even really going to be a, a face-off at all, it's going to be the face-off between Baal and Elijah, the prophet of God. Baal was considered the supreme God in ancient Canaan and in other places. And the worship uh, of Baal infiltrated actually the, the, the culture of the day, the Jewish culture of the day as well. And the religious uh, life that was happening during the time of the, of the judges. In Judges chapter 3 verse 7, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and they served the Baal. And the Baals and Asherahs. Baal was believed to be the fertility god who was, who was believed to uh, enable the earth to produce its crops and the, and the people to produce children. Baal was considered the supreme god of that time. And, and his sister Asherah was believed to be the fertility godless, uh, god, goddess associated with the stars. And his, his sister as well, Aneth, was believed to be the goddess of love and war. So they were in a family business here, these gods, these Baals, um, family business, or at least that was the belief that they were in control of the sun and the moon and, and love and war and fertility. And, but, but usually Baal had a, a lightning bolt in his hands and I believe a hammer in the other one to signify power and, a, and fire. Now this, the priest of Baal was known to for loud worship, with loud cries, along with self-inflicted pain and injury they did to themselves. And they gathered and they prayed for fire. Um, but Baal did not answer. This is what scripture says. And they really prayed. They really, really, really prayed for a long time as well. Long prayers. All day long, they, the cheers and the cries. And, and um, they cut themselves and shedding blood and still no answer. And then we see Elijah is going to call out to his God and, and fire from heaven is going to come down almost immediately. It's a beautiful story and, and licks up all the water around the, the, the offering and the sacrifice and, and burns everything up. 
right? Now there's a lot happening in the story. We see that in this text, uh, three people, Obadiah, King Ahab, and Elijah. And then if you read the, the rest of these chapters, we'll also see that Queen Jezebel comes into play, who's King Ahab's uh, wife. And we see that she's just evil. She is just wicked. She's more wicked and evil than Ahab himself. In fact, Jezebel was the one killing off the Lord's prophets. And, and she uh, seems to be doing such a great job that Elisha, Elijah, I should say, Elijah. I was telling someone the other day, J becomes before S and S is second. So that's how I remember, but I still say it wrong sometimes. But Elijah, right? Elijah winds up being scared. He, was, he thought he was the last man standing, or shall I say the last prophet standing. And he felt all alone and a failure. But what he didn't know is that God had plans. Sometimes we forget God has plans. God has plans and purposes for us. Amen. God has plans. God has plans. And behind the scenes, uh, he had other prophets on standby. In fact, this is where we see Obadiah coming into, into play. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord who, who oversaw the uh, King Ahab's uh, palace, and today that would be equivalent to someone working for uh, the White House or something like that, right? A government agency, but had direct access to the king or direct access to the president. So Obadiah was a believer in the Lord who directly worked for King Ahab. And now Jezebel is king in killing the prophets, and while she's killing the prophets, Obadiah is trying to save the prophets, and he's hiding them, and he took a hundred prophets. And he put them into caves. Two caves. 50 in one, 50 in the other. I think that's just brilliant. One plan fails. But hopefully the other plan will um, continue <laughs> to go as, as planned. You, he's like a devout believer. But you don't always know what's going to happen. He was just operating in faith. He supplied them both with food and water. Now, if you're not aware of the story, chapter 17 tells us that the word of the Lord went out from Elijah. Who told King Ahab... That there was going to be a great famine. And we know that was going to last uh, for years. Neither rain nor dew would fall until Elijah said so. Wow, that's amazing to me. And we know it lasted three and a half years. That's a long time. Now during this drought, miracles took place as God's will was being put forth. As God was at work. And God uh, provided food for Elijah by ravens and, and a brook of water. God's amazing. Amen. Amen. As time went on, the brook dried up. And you wonder why at times that happens. But I believe it's to move Elijah somewhere else. And the word of the Lord took Elijah to uh, Zarephath of Sidon uh, to meet a widow there. Many of us know that story. The famine was great there. And she had a son. And they were both about to die. And Elijah shows up asking for food and for bread. That's kind of funny and yet not. 1 Kings 17, you want to take reference and write it down. Verses 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I gather a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we might eat and that we might die. That's hopeful. Elijah tells her, don't be afraid. And gives her a word of the Lord. So great when someone's scared and fearful and you receive the word of the Lord. And you know it's the word of the Lord. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and, and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and, and her family. 
Notice obedience and prayer precedes the miracles. Obedience and prayer precedes the miracle. And just because God did a miracle today doesn't mean that you won't have problems tomorrow. Oh, you got to get that. Because some people think, oh, God showed up powerfully, so that's it. Game over. I have no more problems. It's just not true. It's just not the reality of Scripture. And the list goes on of things that are happening. As time goes on, we know that the widow's son gets sick and the widow's son actually dies. And once again, Elijah prays and takes it to the Lord. And the Lord answers his cries. And the son is brought back to life. You should read that story. It's an amazing story. And now when you hear and read these stories, it might make you pause and think, wow, I wish I could be like Elijah. I wish I can, right? I wish I can. But you can tap your feet three, three times together. You're not going to be in Kansas. You're not going to turn into Elijah either. I wish I could do these things today. Elijah prayed and it didn't rain. And we prayed, a dead boy came back to life. In a few moments, we'll read about fire falling from heaven. Wow. Seems like whenever Elijah prayed and turned to the Lord, the miraculous took place and his prayers were answered. But remember, obedience and prayer precedes the miracles. Precedes the miracles. And guess what? We're just like Elijah. Well, that's what the Bible says. The earnest prayers of a righteous person availeth much. It's powerful. It's effective. Uh, right? And we have that same power that Elijah had. That same power can work through the spirit-filled believer. Amen? Do you believe that today? That's the power, the resurrection power that resides in each and every person who's a believer. Right? We, effective. It's powerful. We're just like Elijah. Or at least we have the potential that he had. We have that potential if we respond obediently and prayerfully to God's words. But do we do that? Do we do that? When we pray, what happens? Or even a better question is, when you pray, what do you expect to happen? What do you expect to happen? Because I believe way too many Christians have stopped praying bold, earnest, and effective prayers. And often they have replaced their faith with fear and doubt and worse, unbelief. James says in chapter 5, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. <laughs> Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. And so we need to learn how to prevail in prayer and believe that the God of yesterday is the God of today. The God of yesterday and the God of Elijah is our God as well, right? The Lord liveth and the Lord reigns and the Lord is alive and the Lord is seated at the right hand of Father God making intercession for each and every one of us. The Lord lives. Hallelujah. And the Lord wants to help every one of us who can hear us and hear me. He wants us to turn away from our idols and turn towards Him. And look to Him and have a deeper relationship with Him. But are we praying and are we walking in the power and the authority of God? Are we doing it God's ways or are we trying to do it man's ways? Are we following Him obediently? And many times we're confused about how prayer works. And so often we, we become double-minded. How long will believers waver between two opinions? Will they follow God? Will they follow Baal? And too many believers are torn between God and their idols. Out your amen. And while today our idols might not be Baal, 
They represent Baal in so many ways. Our idols can be our children. It can be our jobs. It can be our work. It can be our career. Right? Chasing the successful life, the better life. So many things distract us and move us away from following God. Takes us off mission. Takes us off from going deeper with Him. Oh, we have so many idols in America. We have so many idols and so many more idols, maybe even around the world. Thousands of them. Yeah, we're supposed to believe in God. Too many are just double-minded. Trying to serve both God and them. Both God and their idols. At the same time, pick one. Choose one is what the prophet's saying. Pick one. Choose one. Commit to one. And we must get to the point in our life journey with Christ that we understand that Jesus is God. That Jesus is the Messiah. And that the Lord lives today. Yes. Hallelujah. He's praying for us, church. He's rooting for us. He wants to see us successful. Jesus has not left us alone, but actually he sent us the comforter, he says. The Holy, the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, to help us, to guide us, to lead us in all truth. That's what the word of God says. And we'll speak more about this in a little while. But if we're going to prevail in, in prayer and go deeper with God, we must Believe God's words. We must believe that His words are true. And then obey those words. Obedience and prayer precedes miracles. It precedes it. As we walk in the fellowship with the Lord, following His ways, obeying His ways, desiring His will, God's going to meet our needs. He's going to meet your needs. I just believe that in my heart. The miraculous starts happening and lives are transformed. If needed, He'll send us ravens. If needed, our jugs will just continue to be filled. That's the way it works. He's the God of miracles. He makes a way, amen? amen? He makes a way. He knows how to make a way. He's the God of nature. The God who can do all things. And many people have just replaced God with Baal. Replaced God with their idols. It's going to be their demise. Now before we get into the standoff before King Ahab and Jezebel and the prophets of Baal versus Elijah. Let's touch on fire for a moment. Let's not touch fire, but let's just touch on fire for a moment. Fire can be mesmerizing and mysterious. It releases both heat and light. And throughout the Bible, uses various, it's, it, it tells us about fire in various ways. Practically, again, fire was used for heat and light and, and, and for cooking food. It represents God. It represents the presence uh, of God. Typically, the Holy Spirit, as we know also, the Holy Spirit was represented as a dove or oil and wind and water. And sometimes it shows God's judgment. And other times it shows God's power and protection and presence and authority. For example, fire was used to, to burn up the sacrifices at the altar. Fire was used to refine silver and to clean items and to bring out um, and separate the impurities that are there. When Israel um, left Egypt, there was a cloud by day and a, a pillar of fire. At night, it illuminated the way, it lit up the way. Now, it, it, it provided heat possibly at night as well. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24 says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Leviticus 6, 12 and 13, The fire on the altar must be kept burning, it must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood, firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and, and burn the fat of the fellowship offering on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Oh, church, we must keep the fire burning. Yeah. 
Keep the fire burning in your hearts. Keep the fire burning. Never let it go out. Keep it burning for Jesus. Hallelujah. Keep that fire and that passion burning in your hearts and in your minds for Christ Jesus. And while we don't always have to pray these fiery types of prayers, they should always, always be passionate types of prayer. Faithful types of prayer. Prevailing uh, prayers. Prayers that move God's heart to hear in His hands to answer. Fire represents God's presence and often the beginning of a new work assignment that's going to take place. Moses saw the burning bush and it, was, it wasn't being consumed. We know the story. Exodus chapter 3. But there he met with God and he had to remove his sandals because he was standing on holy ground because he was standing in the presence of God. On the day of Pentecost, fire came down and landed on them holding tongues of fire what it says. And on top of each of the disciples, and they began to speak in other tongues. Something new was happening there as well. Something new. And the fire came down. The early church came into being with fire and a great move of the Holy Spirit. We know that fire can also represent judgment and punishment. We saw that displayed in the Bible with Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire came down and consumed those places. At times, hell and the lake of fire are mentioned in the Bible in various ways and, and places. And we know that the lake of fire will burn for eternity with great intensity. Revelation 21 verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars. We always, so many people just bypass that word, liars. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You think you can lie to put forth God's will and purposes, you're wrong. You never have to lie to put forth God's purpose and His plans. He doesn't lie, neither should we. Their place will be in the, in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And they will be separated from the presence of God. James 3 says the tongue can be a powerful fire. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, verse 3, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also a fire, a, word of, of, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of its life on fire and itself set on fire by hell. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praises and curses. My brothers, this should not be. So fire is used throughout the Bible in, in various ways, and speech is used throughout the Bible as well. Some of us use it to bless, to praise, to sing, to worship. To proclaim the great things of God. But also it's so often used to curse. To defame. To bring harm. To destroy. To use God's name in vain. The very same people that are believers and, and praising Him are the same people that are using His name in vain. We're not talking about the world all the time. We're talking about saints of God who should know better. And never should they both curses and blessings coming out of the same mouth. Now it's time for a standoff. Who will pray to God? And who will pray to Baal? Who will pray to God? And who's going to start worshipping their own idols? Now we are living in different times and seasons. I get that. But the question is still the same. How long will you be between these two opinions? 
Follow God. Or are you going to follow Baal? And you're going to follow your idols? Elijah tells the prophets of Baal, call upon your God. Just don't light it on fire yourself. Don't cheat. He had to make sure that was clear. Don't cheat. Because he knows what's about to happen. It was up to Baal, the God of Baal, to light the fire if he can do it. 1 Kings 18 and 26, then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. There was no response, no answer. They danced around the altars and they made. And noon Elijah began to taunt them and shout. Hey, shout even louder, he says. Surely he, he is God. Uh, perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. And maybe he's sleeping and, and, and must be awakened. So they, so they shouted louder and they, they slashed themselves with sword and spears as with their custom was. And until their blood flowed at midday and they continued, uh, midday passed and they continued their frantic uh, prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifices. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Their God wasn't hearing. So Elijah taunted them. Shout louder. Shout louder. Maybe your God's asleep. Wake up, Baal. Wake up. Maybe you're busy. Maybe you're traveling. Uh, maybe you're in deep thought. Maybe you're relieving yourself. Meaning maybe he had to go to the bathroom. And, wasn't, and it was busy right then. He mocked him. Elijah mocked him. And they start cutting themselves. Right? More frantically. And they cried out. More frantically. And they prayed. Longer and longer, pressing in longer and longer, praying to this idol, this bell, church. I wonder how many people prayed one hour this week. I wonder if any, I know some of you have, but I just wonder, have you ever stayed two, three, four hours in prayer or stayed up all night in prayer? The prophets of Baal, they're cutting themselves. They're praying and they're pushing in deeper and deeper, trying to get God's attention. Now let me be clear about this. Elijah is going to pray a simple prayer. He's a man of prayer. But he had a lifestyle of prayer as well. Sometimes you only have time to say, Jesus. You don't have time to go into a season of prayer and fasting. But if it's your lifestyle, that changes everything. Elijah had a simple prayer. Man of prayer. Lifestyle of prayer. He knew how to prevail in prayer. We don't have to get all frantic and crazy and, and praying like that and start cutting ourselves to get God's attention. Never cut yourself. Never try to get attention that way. Never do it. It's unhealthy. It's ungodly. It's only harmful to you. And, and, and it models the wrong thing to other people. But they cut themselves. The spear and the sword. We have to learn how to enter in to His presence. Prayerfully, so that heaven's treasures and purposes are released to us and released on earth. Hallelujah. Pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done. Thy will be done. And so the prophets of Baal pressed in for hours and hours and hours. Nothing happened. Now it's Elijah's turn. Hallelujah. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come on, come here to me. And they came to him and he, he repairs the altar of the Lord. Don't miss that. Which was in ruins. And Elijah took 12 stones, one of each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it, a large one. A large one. Enough to hold two seeds of 
of seeds. I don't know, my broken, I can't say those words really fast the same way, right? He arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did. Do it a third time, he ordered them. And they did it a third time. And the water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. We pause for a moment. Where did they get the water from? But let me just say this too, because they were in a three and a half year drought. They're on a mountain, Mount, Mount Carmel. We don't know where the water came from, but I would just say this, that the brook that Elijah was at dried up does not mean that all the other brooks and rivers in the area dried up. I mean, we don't have to like overthink this either. Like right away we make some assumptions. Yes, it was three and a half years drought, but they somehow in close proximity had rivers that did not totally dry out. Right? And so he told them to get the water. They had to work for it. Took effort. You just like we just go to a water fountain or get, get a bottle of water and we're like done. No, they had to work for this. It took time and energy and effort, right? Elijah starts drenching the wood in the sacrifices and it fills it with water. But again, notice what he did before he did this. He repaired the altar. He repaired the altar. This was not just a physical event for him. This was a very spiritual event. This was a spiritual was taking place. This is a spiritual battle that's taking place. And when we stop praying and coming to the altar of God, we have a tendency to fall into sin and serve other gods. Elijah was reminding the Israelites, come back to the altar of God. Prior to this, the kingdom split north and south, and God still had a covenant relationship with them as one tribe. Right? As one people. So Elijah, he took 12 stones to remind them of the unity. To remind them of the covenant. To remind them of the God that they serve. To remind them to be in one mind. To remind them to come back to the altar of God. Come back to God. Church, we got to come back to our altars. And come back to God in unity. As one mind, one church. And we need to be reminded from time to time as Christians. We need to be united in Christ. And united together. Not divided back to these altars. Take time to pray publicly and privately and corporately and alone in your prayer closet. Both is needed. All of it's needed. Pray without ceasing. There's something powerful that happens when the people of God, when the saints of God gather in one place and gather in Jesus' name. And way too long, so many gatherings have just been happening, but not in the name of Jesus. In the name of socialization, in the name of baseball games and football games, and all these other things. But we got to come back together as a church. And unify around these altars. And pray pray through some of our problems that we're having. Amen. We take praying at these altars way too lightly. We ought to gather. Not just in the streets. And not just in our seats. But at the altar of God. Amen. It's the altar of God where things start happening. Yes, prayer closet. Yes, private. Public. Corporately. Altar of God. They came together as, a, as one unit. He called them all out. Elijah gathers all of them together and totally soaks the wood and sacrifice and the sacrifices in the altar. Verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah steps up forward, prays, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm, I am your servant and I've done all these things as what? Your command. He pauses. Again in a moment, I remind you, Elijah is a man of prayer. 
lifestyle of prayer. Just like an ordinary person. Just like an everyday person. Just like an everyday Christian. He prayed. God heard him. We have that same access, church, to God. You know that. You have the same access to God. Any hindrances between you and God are your hindrances that you place there. We have access to God. Question is, have we prayed? Have we taken time to pray? Have we stopped and stalled our busy life so that we can pray? We often have not because we ask not. But I love the fact that he prayed, he heard, right? And then he obeyed. Obedience and prayer precedes the miracle. Obedience and prayer precedes the miracle. Too many churches, too many pastors and leaders and people and saints of God are simply following the latest trends and, and fads. Instead of following Jesus and following their calling. But they're simply too busy to pray. Elijah prayed. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know you, O Lord, that Lord, our God. So you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifices, the wood, the stones, and the soil. Licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. This is what happened here. God moved powerfully. God moved so powerfully. And the people of God responded accordingly with praise. And they fell on the floor and they fell before the altar. And they just worshiped the Lord with cries. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. May praises be on our heart, church. May praises be on our lips, church. Oh, man. Get excited for the things of God. Get excited for so many other things. God moved powerfully. People responded. The Lord is God. When we're moved by God powerfully, it should lead to repentance, to turning away from our idols, and turning to God. We are to purge sin from our life. That means moving away from sin, about face, going the other direction, turning away from our idols and turning to God. That's how it works. When revival comes and repentance doesn't follow, it's not true revival. You have to get that. We have to turn to God in obedience. Verse, verse 40. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets and the Baals. Don't let anyone get away. Seize them. Elijah had them brought down to uh, the, the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. Now, I want to be clear here too. We are not telling anyone to kill or murder anyone. Let me be clear. I don't have enough insurance for all that. No, that's not the only reason why. You should not do that, right? We don't do that today. But again, sin has to be purged. And that's the purpose. Sin has to be purged. So while we follow the Old Testament, we believe in the Old Testament, there's nuances there that we're not following. We leave it in God's hands. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But we ought to purge sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. We ought to pur purge sin. And regardless of what the king says or the president of the United States tells us to do, whatever season the president's in. Now, I'm not talking about this one in general. In general, though, as for me and for my house, I will serve the Lord. I will follow the Lord. I will follow biblical principles. That's my heart, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I hope you do it too. We must get to a place in our heart that our service is in full devotion to the Lord. Before we serve anyone else, our service is unto the Lord. King and country, 
comes way down after the King of Kings Amen. and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Hallelujah. And while we serve, we are, as believers, save people, serve people. We ought to serve others. And we ought to do it by bringing back biblical principles and godly obedience. There's never a right way to do a wrong thing. I say that over and over again. We have to put forth the Lord's power and purposes on purpose in our life and through our action, not just words. So quickly, before we move to uh, Pentecost here and we read about the fire falling down from heaven on that, that wonderful day, I want to finish up this, this chapter of Elijah quickly. Um, after a great move of God, made people aware of, of God at just great, at a new levels the rain started to come down. Verse 42, Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees, and tells his servant, go and look towards the sea. And he went up and he looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah did this. Go back. Seven times the servant reported. And then finally a cloud as small as a man's hand is raising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose and a heavy rain came on. Ahab rode off to Jezebel, or Jezreel, I'm sorry. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, tucking in his cloak into his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. It's important to know, important to understand. These miracles were done through the power of God and Elijah following the commands of God. Yes. Obedience to the Lord. Obedience in prayer precedes miracles. Elijah was just like us. He prevailed in prayer. Amen. He obeyed God's words. He heard from God. God. He responded to God. Obedience in prayer precedes miracles. Then the rain came down. Now, if, you're keeping, if you keep reading the story, Elijah operated in fear at times. We know that he wasn't a, a, a perfect man. He wasn't a perfect leader. And he wasn't, he wasn't a perfect prophet. And he still had times of, of doubt. And we know that, that he heard a word from uh, Jezebel. And after the, after the great move of God and all this, this great fire coming down from heaven and the rain coming and all the stuff that was performed, we know that Elijah was fearful. Listen to this. He was a great prophet. One of the greatest prophets. He was fearful. He was depressed. He fell alone felt alone at times. In fact, he wanted to die. And so I give you this warning today. Be careful about when you're weary and tired because that's when the enemy wants to come and pounce on you. Yes. When you're weary and tired, he wants to pounce on you. And when you're, that's because that's when you're mostly weak and vulnerable. We need help. Be careful of your mind playing tricks on you and that head talk that you give your mind, that negative head talk. Elijah was not the only prophet left Though he, he felt that way, and he felt <laughs> depressed. We know that Obadiah told him, there's a hundred people, hundred prophets in a cave, in two caves hiding. He told him that. He knew that. And God told him he had 7,000 prophets who never bowed a knee to Baal, or never kissed Baal. And now God will reveal himself again to Elijah, but he does it, and again, powerfully to encourage Elijah. 1 Kings 19. Verse 11 through 13, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And again, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. He was in the presence of the Lord, and now he realizes it. See, the Lord was trying to get our attention, and the Lord was trying to get Elijah's attention. But it was more than that. He shocked the mountains. He shook the mountains. He shattered the rocks, right? He sent an earthquake. Fire came down from heaven. But he wasn't in that. He was in the whisper. Church, we need to listen to the whisper of God. That gentle voice inside your heart and your mind calling you, come back to me, sinner, come back to me. He's talking to us all the time. He's speaking constantly to us. Too many of us are not listening. Well, God will do the dramatic at times to get our attention. We really don't live there. Some of us live in the dramatic, but it's not a God thing. All right, he'll get that later. Um, what he wants from us is a, is a daily personal encounter with him. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's my spirit, says the Lord. And this is what we need today, an encounter with the Lord Almighty. Amen. That's what we need. Listen to his voice. Now, let's jump to the New Testament where fire comes down 120 on 120 people in the upper room. And I believe, again, the fire is symbolic of something that's new, that's about to happen, the beginning of something new. In Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a, a, a blowing of a violent wind and came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to, to rest on each of them. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The fire, once again, symbolic of God's power, symbolic of His presence. But it was not just symbolic. It was actually His presence. And, and they experienced something like a burning bush experience. God's presence, God's fire, like that burning bush experience didn't burn them up. Moses now was, enter, was entering into a new ministry after that experience. And now the, at the day of Pentecost took place, it... it it catapulted the church, this, this young church, this early church, this body of believers into a new ministry as well. And while the fire only fell once for the burning bush experience in Moses, it only fell once in this case on the day of Pentecost as well. But God is still working and God is still moving and God is still blessing and God is still touching. And the Holy Spirit is still in operation. God is still the same God and God is still the consuming fire God. He wants us to be passionate about our calling and about his work. He wants us to be empowered with his presence. And while we might not physically see that type of fire land on each of the disciples again, we can experience the same fire of God. God's burning fire in each of our hearts. Don't let the fire burn out, church. Let the fire fall. Don't let the... Don't let don't let the fire stop burning in your hearts. For many saints, they've never experienced God's power and anointing. I say, wait for it. For many others, they have experienced it a long time ago and forgotten what it feels like. Again, I say, wait for it. Wait for it. In both cases, I say, follow what Jesus says and what he said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, but you shall receive power. But he says, wait 
for my gift, my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said to him, it's not for you to know the dates, the times of the dates the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem today in Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up to heaven before their very eyes. You see, the day of Pentecost actually happened 50 days after the resurrection. It was about 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension where they watched him take off on Mount of Olives into heaven. And a little over a week later, Pentecost took place. And by the way, Jesus is going to return again the same way he left. He's going to return, I believe, right at Mount of Olives. After the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I also want you to understand something about his disciples. And Jesus, in John 20, verses 21 and 22, they were already saved. They were saved disciples. Let's read it. And Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. I want to be very clear here. At salvation, you receive Holy Spirit. At salvation, Holy Spirit dwells in you. But on the day of Pentecost, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were immersed in the Holy Spirit and power to witness. Acts 1, 8 says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. I'm constantly reminding the church and anyone else who wants to listen, there's more to come after salvation. Salvation is not the end of your journey with God. It is the beginning of your journey with God. There's more to come. And we are to be filled and baptized, spirit baptized with the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. They were immersed. They were baptized, baptismo. They were immersed in his presence into a greater measure of his presence. For what purpose? For power. What purpose? To live a victorious life in Christ Jesus to witness, to be a witness, to become, become a bold proclaimer and minister of God. We are to operate in the power and the authority of God. May God's fire light us up. May, may His fire fall on us again and set us ablaze for the ministry and work and purposes of God. For His glory and for His honor. We need to be on fire for God, passionate about the things of God. We need to be on fire for God. We need to call down fire. And I don't necessarily mean literally, but we need to push back darkness and the works of the enemy and help uh, build God's kingdom. To do that, we need power. It takes power. It takes supernatural power from God. Now, some think this prayer language was... Um, to witness so missionaries don't have to go to language school. I've read that a few times. I just don't believe it or buy it. I actually think it's something funny um, or sad. Um, but this new language can be known or unknown to others, but definitely unknown to the speaker. You need to understand that 1 Corinthians 13 expresses this beginning at verse 1. Paul says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. See, people can speak in a tongue with the wrong motives. Tongues don't make you a, a super Christian, especially if you're not operating in love. Speaking in tongues is, is, not also, is, is also not speaking in your second language. Some people speak two languages or more. So when the Spirit moves, 
When the spirit moves, they speak in tongues, but it's an unknown language to that person speaking. When someone's baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and the speaking in tongues is a sign that they have received the baptism. It's an evidence. It's a sign, right? But it's only a sign. I heard it once said like something like this. Um, if you hang a sign in front of your house with your name on it, it doesn't mean the sign is you. It's a sign. It's evidence that you're at the right house, right? You need to understand that. It's evidence that you're at the right house. Tongues is a sign that the Lord has filled the believer with the Holy Spirit. You're in the right place. Remember, the disciples were already saved. You got to get that. At salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. And you start to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Romans 8, Galatians 5. These upper room saints were already Christians. Right? Under the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. Um, by the day of Pentecost... When the Holy Spirit fell on them, the, the Lord already breathed on them. They were already indwelled with the Spirit of God. They were already filled with His... They were already, uh, I should say, saved. And so the Holy Spirit already resided in them. So this filling and this baptism went beyond the 12 apostles. Because I hear it all the time. It was only for the 12 apostles. Can you do the math, church? There was 120 in the room, not 12. Only 10% of that room were apostles. It was the room filled with disciples. This filling, this immersing for God's power, additional power, was for the disciples. To, it blows my mind. It helps us overcome sin. The baptism with the, with the Holy Spirit. It's an inward work, it's an outward work. You now start to move. In the gifts of the Spirit as displayed in Acts chapter 2 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 19. And also 1 Corinthians 12 through 13 and 14. Read all those chapters. But most importantly, the Spirit baptism helps you to have greater communication and greater intimacy with Father God. Remember, God is whispering to Elijah. It's not always in the dramatic experience that we're looking for. And too often we're searching for the experience instead of the person. We're looking in all the wrong places. And we're looking for the experiences of the person. Jesus, who is God, who's a person, born of a virgin, came to earth in the flesh. Jesus is a 100% man. This is a miracle. This is miraculous and still 100% God. And Jesus is the one who saves. And Jesus is the great baptizer. And Jesus is a person. And the Holy Spirit is a person too. He isn't a force, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Star Wars. The Holy Spirit. He's not some unknown ghost. Boo. What? We have to stop this stuff. He's the third person of the Godhead. He points people to Jesus. He convicts people of sin. He helps them lead a godly life. It's also important to understand and to know. Being spirit filled was a normal day of operation for the early church. Church, it was normal. For us today, it has become abnormal. For them, it was normal. Today, it's abnormal because we're torn between God and Baal. We're torn between two idols. We're, we're torn between our, our business and our consumption and, and life and all the other things that we're doing. We have not entered into His presence at the level that we ought to be doing that. Is this a rebuke? It's not meant to be a rebuke. It's meant to bring us into His presence. 
Not to, not to say, oh, he's talking this nonsense again. No, it's not nonsense. It's truth. Read his words and then respond appropriately. Speaking in tongues is to enhance your prayer language and communication with God. It's speaking spirit to spirit. It should be the normal operation of everyday saint of God. And we have to read the Bible, right? Every day. This should be normal for Christians every day. We ought to pray every day. This is supposed to be normal in the Christian life. We ought to pray in the spirit and, and be spirit filled and be refilled. And this should be the normal experience of, the, of a church, of a Christian church and of the saint of God. And it comes after salvation, not before it. Speaking in tongues should be something that is done regularly. And I would say every day. This should be the normal experience for the spirit-filled believer in Christ Jesus. The empowerment is for you. The empowerment is for us. The empowerment is for the saint of God. When did this stop and why did this stop? Our doubt, our unbelief, right? Takes us off mission. And often people are disobedient and refuse to believe God's words. People need to learn how to wait in his presence and bask in his presence. Especially in this West, the Western society. We're so impatient. We're impatient. We don't like waiting. And yet we wait on lines all the time. But that's usually if you're in Disney, we have to go to the bathroom, or you're for a conf conference. But to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? I don't have time for that. Lord, come on now. Let's do it. It's crazy. We don't like to wait. And this gift, this filling was never meant to stop during the church age. Yes, it's going to stop. It will stop, but not during the church age. We're still living in the church age. And so the spirit-filled saint of God is still needed to walk righteously and to model the things of God. Joel chapter 2 tells us these last days. We are living in these last days. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth. Blood and fire and bills of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day. Of the Lord, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved in Christ Jesus. Anytime, just call out to God Almighty and you will be saved. Obedience and prayer precedes the miracle. Hallelujah. May he pour out showers of blessings on all of us. So when did the spirit baptism stop being poured out? It didn't. It didn't stop. Maybe you stopped, but it didn't stop. He's still flowing and going. Yes. Hallelujah. The Lord doesn't force himself on you. He doesn't make you obey him. He doesn't make you wait in his presence, right? He, he doesn't make you bask around these altars and stay here a little bit longer. He shouldn't have to perform another miracle for you to believe his words either. You already have his truth. You already have the Bible, scripture, the words of God. Read it and open it. These verses from Joel are repeated in Acts chapter 2. So it's both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're living in the church age. problem that often happens, people who don't pray in tongues, they feel maybe like a secondhand Christian. Don't feel that way. But I get it. Some say it's not for today. Miracles are not for today. It has stopped. It has ceased. We're, continuing. We're continuous. We believe the book of Acts is still open and still being lived out. We are living in the church age. 
And some feel they want to make fun of it. They want to make fun of the experience. Oh, you don't have doctrine and theology. Just experience those people over there. Right? So they make fun of it. They're wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. Whatever. I, my word of God says something else here. You know, this is for today. Just like we don't have all the gifts, not everybody's going to, um, and, we, and we can be saved, right? You don't have all the gifts, but you're saved. So we don't all speak in tongues, but, but we can be saved, right? But here's the difference, and I want you to get this. While we don't have all the gifts, the Lord gives out those gifts as He desires, as is needed. Some come on you, motivation gifts. Some come upon you, manifestation gifts. Some are the ascension gifts or the office gifts, prophet and pastor and missionaries and things like that. We don't have all those gifts, and yet we're saved. But we can all be spirit baptized and speaking in tongues. We can. We can all prophesy in turn as the Lord leads us. We can all speak truth and, be and speak out um, proclamation. Of God's words. Speaking in tongues will enhance your, your prayer language and your intimacy with God. I believe that. And I believe He wants every believer to be able to do this and be empowered. I, I, I know that's not for everybody. I'm just saying that's how I read God's word. So I'm just teaching truth here. We can still unify. We don't have to divide over this. We can unify on this, even if we're not totally in agreement. But that's how I read God's words, and that's how I'm going to preach it. After salvation, there is more to come. Salvation is only the beginning. There's more to come. After salvation, pray for greater intimacy with God. Pray for empowerment to witness and minister to others. This is about submitting and yielding to the Holy Spirit and obeying God's words and truth. And salvation, after salvation, we get water baptized, right? And then we get spirit baptized. We get dunked or immersed in water, making a proclamation that we are now followers of God. Water baptism. Baptismo, immersed, dunked in water, making a proclamation, right? Then we get dunked and drenched and immersed in the Spirit of God, making a proclamation in our new prayer language unto God, going deeper with God, looking for more intimacy with God, getting induced with power to work, to serve, to go, to give, to live rightly under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And if you have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues, you should be praying for it and desiring it and not fearing it. But most importantly, desire to be more intimate with the King of Kings and the yes. Lord of Lords. Amen. Let the Lord know that you want to go into greater intimacy yes. with him. Just, Lord, I want more intimacy with you. Yes. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me. I know the Holy Spirit resides in me, but immerse me now in God the Father, God yes. the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Too often, we, you know, we, we just get stuck in other things. The Lord wants you to have greater intimacy with him. And don't allow your natural language to get, and get in the way of your supernatural language. And too often our flesh gets in the way and, and in the way of our gifting and our calling. Too often we get stuck between God and other things. Too often we get stuck between God and our traditions. Too often we get stuck between God and our busyness. Too often we get stuck between God and Baal or God and our idols. Allow the fire of God to burn up your earthly desires and ask God to release his spirit within you in a powerful way. Ask for the anointing and ask for empowerment to fall upon you strong. First Corinthians 13 verse 11 When I was a child I spake as a child 
I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish ways behind me. Now we see but a, a poor reflection as in the mirror that we shall see him face to face. Now I know in part, in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We don't understand all the mysteries and miracles that happen out there. We know in part, one day we'll know in full. But too many baby and immature Christians are running around out there. God tells us after salvation, there is more to come. God tells us to get water baptized after salvation. That's not when you are just a little child and unable to understand what salvation is all about. That's not even sprinkling. Yet I understand why people do that. We don't believe that here. Um, but that happens after you're saved. And after becoming a Christian, we have to get dunked or immersed, baptized in water. And then, and, and, and why? Because Jesus told us this, and he modeled this. And after becoming a Christian, we should be waiting for and seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Why? Jesus told us to wait. And then the early disciples and apostles modeled it for us. It's not really complicated. We fear it. That's what's the problem. We, we think we're out of control. That's the problem. You are in control. Oh God, I love you. I want to speak out. Boop. I shut my mouth. I close my mouth. I'm fully in control. Well, we've experienced people being out of control. Yes, you have. We'll talk about that another day. But you are in control. You're not a robot. You're not demon-possessed. You're spirit-filled. There's a difference. There's more to come after salvation. You see, the promise from, from the Lord, from Jesus himself, the promise was that the Holy Spirit power is coming. Acts chapter 1. The fulfillment of that promise, Acts chapter 2, was on the day of Pentecost. So the promise is given and the fulfillment followed. In Acts chapter 2, what did they get? The promise was power. What they received? Power. And we continue to receive power as we believe God's words and follow his principles. Inwardly, it brings us closer to God and deeper intimacy with God, spirit to spirit. Outwardly, it empowers us for ministry. It empowers us to be witnesses in life, in love, in liberty. So in closing, my prayer for this church and for us, the body of believers and those listening online that we become moved and motivated by the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God moves in our hearts and in our mind, in our life. That our pride and our misunderstanding of scriptures get put behind us. That our traditions get put behind us and that we kneel and pray at these altars. And we come together as a body of believers asking God to baptize us. Saving our soul. But also baptizing us in His presence and immersing us in His Spirit with his love, with his power, with his authority. So we become better witnesses for him and that we serve him better and we go deeper with him. To live a life worthy of our calling, this takes power, this takes authority. Without him moving rightly in our hearts and our lives, we always will become a marginal Christian. I know I'll get myself in trouble for that. But no matter how far we go, we cannot go far enough if we're not empowered by God Almighty. We will never truly become overcomers at the level he wants us to be if, if, we, if we choose not to seek after God, if we choose not to want the spirit baptism, if we choose not to wait in his presence, then we really are becoming obedient, obedient or disobedient. 
I would say, we're becoming disobedient. And you can say, well, what about that person? I know, I know history and I know stories. People never, they don't believe in the baptism, the second filling and all this other stuff. But no, you are filled. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You, you are indwelled with the Spirit. This filling goes beyond that. Acts 1, Acts 2, two different time events. What about those people that we know that don't believe in this? They did great things in the Lord. Never spoke in tongues. Never was baptized in the Spirit as I'm talking about it today. And I would say, but imagine what they would do if they trusted and obeyed God's words. And they obediently followed His words. Partial obedience is sin. Even if, even if you have good intentions. Even if you have a good heart. Even if you do great things in the kingdom of God. I believe his words are clear. Now, none of us are perfect. But partial obedience is sin. Knowing to do good, following his ways, and then despising his ways, his power, his truth, sin. And regardless if God wants to do more or less through us, regardless if we see more miracles or not, that's really not the point. It's about being obedient to his words. Obedience and prayer precedes the miracle. And when we call out to God in obedience and faith, believing and trusting his truth and ways, his fire will fall down. Hearts will repent and turn away from sin and worship will go up. When all the people saw this, they felt prostrate and cried. When they saw the miracles and the fire come down and the great move of God, they felt prostrate and they cried out, Lord, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. And they started declaring the great wondrous things of God. When Pentecost took place, they started declaring the great things of God. Would you stand with me, church? And let's just call out to God for a few more moments. I know the hour's late. We have church tonight, too, for those who want to come back and worship some more. But right now is the hour. If you have never been baptized in the Spirit before, ask for it. Wait for it. Simply worship Him. And when the Holy Spirit prompts you to start speaking, speak. When you get that urge, that flutter, those words that fill your heart and your mind, that you don't even understand, that you cannot even explain, yield to it. The Lord will not give you something that's going to harm you. Will He give you a serpent? Will He give you a rock? Will He give you things that are bad for you? No. He's a good father. You pray for something, you will get a good thing from him. If it, if it has been way too long since you have spoken in tongues and received a special gift and power, start using it today. Start taking bold steps of faith and using it today and worshiping him today. He wants to change our speech and ways from the inside out. He wants to change our speech and ways from worldly to godly, from earthly to supernatural it starts with salvation that's the main thing be safe first so if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way just say Jesus I'm a sinner and I want to know you and I want to know your power and I want you to fill my heart and he will do that just call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved you don't have to have the right words just, just in your heart by faith believe that he's the resurrected God he's the resurrected Savior he died on the cross he rose again for you and then immediately, right after that, immediately, you can say, Lord, I want to receive the 
the, the Holy Spirit in power. So at salvation, receive the Holy Spirit. The indwelling. At the baptism, receive the filling and, and power of God to come upon you. You don't get more of the Holy Spirit for the filling. You already have all the Holy Spirit you need. What you get is power. Empowerment. To be more intimate with Him. And to do works of service in a godly way. Wait in God's presence. Seek His presence. And ask for more intimacy. Spiritually, He wants to take this church and these people, I believe in my heart, to a new height. Are you willing to go to a new height with God? Let the fire fall. It begins with saints of God crying out to Him. Let's worship Him for a few minutes. These altars are open. Believe in your heart. If you don't receive it today, you'll receive it tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, the next day. I believe this is for all people. Let the fire fall. Yeah. 
everything that's been said and done today. 